All right, so as I said earlier, we're going to be in, we're starting a new book of the Bible today. We're starting the book of Colossians. We're going to be in the book of Colossians for 10 weeks. And if you don't know what the, the book of Colossians is, if you're newer to the Bible, the Bible, especially the New Testament, it's full of all of these letters that different church leaders wrote to little churches saying, hey, what do we do in light of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? What does that mean for us? And these letters would be written to people in specific places dealing with specific things. And so what we have in the, uh, the book of Colossians, it's a letter from Paul and Timothy, and some people think maybe a, a group of people, but we know from Paul and Timothy written to this church this little body of people in Colossae. And so we're going to be looking at this letter and seeing what we can learn from it over the next 10 weeks. But before we get into the letter, uh, something for, uh, else first. Uh, over the last probably, I don't know how long now, a year, year and a half, I've been seeing a ministry coach slash counselor, okay? It's this counseling group that uh, is specifically for pastors to kind of, they've got different counseling degrees and things, and they they like to call themselves coaches, I think because they like to give advice sometimes. Uh, uh, But they do, you know, it's counseling. They also like to call themselves coaches because a lot of pastors won't go to a counselor, but they'll go to a coach. And so um, so I've been going to this counselor uh, for about a year and a half, been meeting with him. And, and when I first started meeting with him, I fully expected this guy to get to the bottom of what's wrong with me, right? Like, I just, that's what I thought going in. I was like, this guy's going to let me know what's wrong with me. He's going to let me know all my deep, dark sins. He's going to let me know all my idolatry. He's going to let me know all the things we need to deep, like dive deep into in my heart that's just bad and wrong with me, and it's going to explain so much about me and who I am. That's what I expected counseling to be, and I actually think there's a place for that in some counseling, but that's what I expected it to be, and then unexpectedly, that's not what my counseling experience was especially at the start, or really throughout the experience. What would happen is I would kind of go to him with some, some anxiety I was having or some pain point in my life, and I'd be kind of talking to him about it, and I'd be expecting him to say, well, Anthony, you have that anxiety because of this idol or this or that going on here. But instead, he would say things like, Anthony, you're feeling anxious about that because you're, you're a really good friend. Or then I would be kind of telling him about my life and how I'm handling this situation, how I just feel like the situation is getting away from me. And he would say, Anthony, you're doing a really good job with that. And then what would happen, uh, this was the really unexpected part for me, is when he would see these true and good things about me, it actually would help with my anxiety. It would help with some of the pain points I was having around some of these issues. It was totally counterintuitive to me because I was sure that he had to figure out what was wrong with me and all my sinful ways in order to help me with all my issues. But instead what he did is he saw good things about me, creational things that God made in me, that God loves, and he encouraged me with those things and he strengthened me with those things and those things hearing them it wasn't just like trite for me it actually legitimately would help with my anxiety it would help with these different pain points I was going through and why do I say all that because this is kind of how Paul and Timothy opened this letter to the Colossians 
They're kind of like doting grandparents going like, man, I am just seeing everything that God is doing in you, right? They're just opening this letter saying, I'm just so thankful for what God is doing. Or your friend Epaphras, he's come, who came through and shared the gospel with you, he can't, he's come and he's told us about you guys. And we're just so excited about what God is doing in you guys. And so I, I just want us to see that, 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 that there is a place in Scripture for encouragement, and encouragement can strengthen us as the people of God. We're, we're kind of like a Bible people church, right? And so because we're a Bible people church, we kind of go like, why would you encourage someone when you could tell them their sinful ways, right? And that, the, the only problem with that is the, the Bible. <laughs> like, that's the only problem with that. So, like, there's truth to that. Like, we need to know our sinful ways. We need to repent. Jesus told us to repent. But, but I just love that we see in this opening letter that the way, the, the opening of this letter, that the way that Paul and Timothy want to talk to the Colossians first is like, man, we're so thankful for you guys. We're so thankful for what God's doing in you guys. They could have just kept that to themselves, but they told that to the Colossians in order to encourage them. The other thing that, that Paul and Timothy do here that, that is just kind of astounding to me is, is they kind of make a big deal out of a small place. So, so the Colossian church, is that there, there's this group of Christians in Colossae, and this town was a town that at one point was this big, booming town because trade routes went through it. But probably by the time that Paul and Timothy write this letter, it's a town on the decline— and when Epaphras gets there and shares the gospel with them. And then what else we probably know is this church, it might have been smaller than our church. Like it might have just been a few households. It might have just been like 20 to 30 people that had taken hold of the gospel and believed it and began to follow Jesus. And then you have Paul and Timothy who are big deals. Like, guys, they just, they are big deals. They, they wrote the Bible. Like, like, so, like, they're big deals in the faith at that time. Paul is, like, the instrument and reason that any of us believe in the gospel, right? Like, he is who God used to bring the gospel to anyone that was not Jewish, right? He used others as well. But Paul was, like, probably the chief instrument for a time. And so Paul's a big deal. Timothy's his, like, the guy that he's been trained up, he's a big deal. And they say to themselves, we've heard about this little church in a declining town that doesn't really affect us. Let's write them a letter. Let's encourage them. Like, guys, I, I, grasp what's happening here. God, he put in Scripture a letter from two bigwig guys to a small church of insignificant value. If you read the book of Revelation and you see these seven letters written to all these seven different churches in the, in the region, Colossae isn't mentioned. Some people think that it's because the city of Colossae, the town of Colossae, was just totally gone by the time Revelation was written. And yet God wanted to speak to this small group of people. Like God saw them and wanted to talk to this. Like guys, this would be like if, it'd be like if Francis Chan... Or if, like, the Bible Project guys wrote a letter, not to our church, but just to, like, three or four of the RCs or small groups in our church. And he was just saying, and, and Francis Chan was just like, you guys are getting after it. Your love is crazy. Like, like and they're just saying, that was a really good evangelical joke, you guys. Um, <laughs> he wrote a book called Crazy Love, okay? Um, you have not forgotten God. Like, all these kinds of things. I'm still going. That's another book. Anyways. You're missing, you're missing some of my best jokes I've ever done up here. Um, that's fine. But that, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Um, that feels patronizing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but that would be what it's like. Some like big deal Christians talking to just a few small groups. That's how God is. He sees the small and wants to speak to the small. And so that's how this letter of Colossians opens up. It opens up with these, these guys just doting on this church because they're so excited about what God is doing. And so we'll spend the next 10 weeks in this letter trying to learn from this letter as well. We're going to see the ways that Paul and Timothy encourage that church and equip that church and teach that church. And we will try to think about our context and how those things can encourage us, equip us, and teach us as well because we think God's word is for all people in all times and all places. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to go through the first 14 verses in the book of Colossians, and we're going to see three things that Paul and Timothy do. The first thing that we're going to see is we're going to see how Paul and Timothy pray for the church in Colossae. The second thing we're going to see is we're going to see what Paul and Timothy want for the church in Colossae. And then the third thing is we're going to see how Paul and Timothy encourage the church in Colossae. Okay? So we're going to hop into it. First, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm probably going to say the word Colossae all kinds of different ways throughout this series. Okay? I'm not Greek. I, I've tried, I looked up how to tr like, uh, pronounce it correctly online, and there was like multiple ways to pronounce it. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to do my best. So if you notice that, um, give me grace. So let's hop into it. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, it's about this far in your Bible. Like it's pretty far back, okay? It's in the New Testament. It's, uh, it, it's not part of the Old Testament, which is the vast majority of the Bible. So um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, the words will be on the screen with us. We're going to do the first eight verses to start with. So this Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. For we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It's bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. Okay, let's pause there for a minute. So Paul and Timothy right away say hello You'll notice in a lot of letters, Paul wants to greet by saying, grace be with you. That's not just a greeting. That, he wants God's grace to be with every church in every place. And so we should pay attention to that. And you guys should do deeper dives on that in particular. And then right away, what Paul and Timothy let this church know is that they're praying for them. And this is the first thing that we're going to see. We're going to see how Paul and Timothy pray for the church in Colossae. And what we see are prayers of thanksgiving. Prayers of gratitude. Prayers of thankfulness. Paul and Timothy have been praying for this church. Not just any prayers, but prayers saying, God, thank you for this group. Thank you for what you're doing and building your church in Colossae. 
Thank you for, for, for bringing about your kingdom. Thank you for growing them in love of the saints. Thank you for growing them in love, in, empowered by the Spirit. Right away, they let the church in Colossae know they're praying for them prayers of thankfulness. So the first thing I'm just going to say, and this isn't really even the point, but I want you guys to know, I personally need to pray more prayers of thankfulness for you guys. Like, I need, personally, as, as a leader in this church, to pray more prayers of gratitude for you guys. Because we've been doing this church thing for 10 years now, and time and time and time again, you guys are just killing it. Like, you guys are like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I'm going to do it. Like, you guys are going, what does it mean to listen to God's word? I'm going to listen. I need to pray more prayers of thankfulness for you because God has done a work in you guys. And it's, it's divine work. It's not just random acts happening here or there, random beliefs happening here and there. God has done something in you guys. And I need to pray more prayers of thankfulness for you guys. You guys are an amazing church. I'm thankful to be included in the saints in this midst. The other thing I want us just to see, what kind of this teaches us, what Paul teaches us here, because I think, I think what Paul is, show, is doing by showing them, Paul and Timothy are doing by showing them these, these prayers of thankfulness, I think what they're doing is they're wanting them to see that this is how the church prays. The people of God, when we pray, we pray prayers of thanksgiving. We pray prayers of thankfulness. We pray prayers of gratitude, right? Paul wants the people of God to be a people of thankfulness. N.T. Wright, he actually says, I, I think that Paul doesn't just want them to be a people of thanksgiving. I think he wants them to be a people of thanksgiving so that they become a people of thanksgiving. That not only that the people of God thank God all the time, but that something happens in the people of God that causes them to live in gratitude, in worship of God, in all of their life. And so the, the application for us is, is really simple with this portion of the letter so far is how much of our prayer lives are marked by gratitude? How much of our prayer lives are marked by thanksgiving? Thankfulness. Right? A lot of us struggle with like mental health stuff, with all kinds of stuff, I'm not saying that this is the solution to it. I'm not saying this is the only thing. But I, I, I am saying that I do think being a person that prays prayers of thankfulness will probably help with that a little bit. When you can see what God is doing and all the work he's doing in our midst, it, can, it just does something to you. And Paul wants us, he wants the church in Colossae and us with them, and Timothy does, to be a church of thanksgiving that prays prayers of gratitude. Right, the Christian life, it should not just be lived solely out of duty. And I, I, I hesitate to say that because I think obedience sometimes gets really knocked down low on the, on the pedestal of virtues for Christians. And obedience is all throughout the New Testament. But I don't think that the way God wants us to live out our life is just duty bound all the time. I think what God has done is he's done all of these amazing things and he wants us to live out of thankfulness of those things. Again, like N.T. Wright says, he wants us to live out of thanks living. 
And so I think that when Paul and Timothy are, are praying this to the church in Colossae, they're showing them that this is what the church does. They, this is who the church is. We are a people of prayers of thanksgiving. We're a people of thanksgiving. We're a people of gratitude. And so again, the application is really simple for us. How much of your prayer life is marked by prayers of thankfulness to God? Especially where he's doing things in his kingdom. How much of it is? I would just encourage us, church, to, to add more prayers of thankfulness and gratitude to our life. Okay? So let's look now at what Paul and Timothy want for the church in Colossae. Uh, verses 9 through 12 we'll read. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Okay, let's pause there for a minute. What we see from Paul and Timothy here in this portion of the opening of the letter is what they want for the church in Colossae. And what they want for the church in Colossae is knowledge of God's will and wisdom and spiritual understanding. All throughout this letter, uh, you're going to see this theme of wisdom. There's this theme running out throughout this letter of wisdom. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not as obvious. But what Paul and Timothy want for the church in Colossae is that they have wisdom. And what we have to know is that when the Bible talks about wisdom, it's not just talking about knowing more things, although that might be part of wisdom. Wisdom is really knowing how to live in each and every situation the way God made us to live. It's knowing how to live in each and every situation, especially in a world that's complicated and sinful. If you read the book of Proverbs, that's what it's trying to give us wisdom about. And Paul and Timothy want that sort of wisdom for the church in Colossae. They want, Paul and Timothy want to say, listen, we know the world's complicated. We know your context where you're at is complicated. We know that there's people all outside of your church who are saying that they've got all kinds of wisdom and philosophies you should follow. What we want to pray for you is that you get wisdom from God, not from them. That you get wisdom from God, not from yourselves. That you get a wisdom that's rooted, and we'll see in later places in this letter, Rooted in Jesus himself. Paul and Timothy want the church in Colossae to have wisdom. Which means that we should be a church that wants this sort of wisdom as well. That prays for this sort of wisdom ourselves. That seeks this sort of wisdom ourselves. And then I found this really fascinating. Because as I saw uh, Paul and Timothy praying this, and asking that God would do this, we actually get to see why Paul and Timothy want the church in Colossae to have wisdom. Did you, did you catch that? Did you see why? The reason why is so that the church in Colossae could walk worthy of Jesus. That the way they lived life would be pleasing to God and look like Jesus. 
The second reason was that so that they would bear fruit in good works. That they would do good works that God has for them, showing who God is in the world by doing those good works, and that they would bear fruit in those things. Not just do them, but bear fruit. Do them in a fruitful way. That almost, that God would work through those things in such a way that it affects the world. And then thirdly, to know him more. And, and what Paul and Timothy say here is, that's God's will for you. Is that how we think through God's will? <laughs> like, do we think through God's will? Like, I think most of us think through God's will like, all right, God, should I take this job or not take this job? And I'm not saying you don't seek God on those things. Absolutely seek God on those things. He has a, a will on those things too, I think. I'm sorry, I think I just got a hair in my mouth. Um, it was a hair. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Wisdom would tell me not to mention that to you guys. Um, but w- what's amazing to me is God's will is defined here, right? Not of just God helping us like self-actualize, which that's a lot of how we kind of see God's will. It's like, God, help me self-actualize. But what we see in this letter is wisdom for the Christian, for the church, is a wisdom that leads to doing good works, to knowing God more, to bearing fruit, the fruit of good works, to living life in a way where you're walking behind Jesus and the world sees Jesus in you. That's what wisdom is for. We've taken a lot of things in the Bible, and I think wisdom is one of them, and we've kind of made it kind of a little too inverted on ourselves, I think, at times. God wants, us to, wants to give us wisdom so that we could be like God in the world. Like we could look like Jesus in the world. So we could do good works in the world. How many of us read the book of Proverbs thinking this is going to help me love other people better? Right? God's will for us is not self-actualization. It's selfless actualization. That's, what's God's, that's, that's what God wants to do with us as the church. We were created for a purpose, to love and care for the world. That's what God wants to do in our midst. That's why Paul and Timothy pray for wisdom. It helps us to see God's will. And so this is just a really lit, easy litmus, te- litmus test for you sometimes as you're going, ah, I don't know what God's will is. Is it helping, is whatever the thing is, helping you walk around look, more, look a lot more like Jesus? Is that whatever the thing is helping you pray or helping you bear more fruit of good works? Is, are you getting to know God more through it? Now, I'm not saying that if those things aren't happening, it's not God's will. I'm just saying that that's why Paul and Timothy have a prayer of wisdom. And that's how Paul and Timothy, in this instance at least, define God's will. It's just interesting to me. I don't know if that's always our first foot forward. Here's a great example. I used to have to raise support uh, to be actually on staff here. So what that means is I used to have to be like, hey, could you give me money so I could be a pastor? And I basically did it like that. And uh, it was always funny to me. If this was you, I'm really sorry. Uh, I'm not, I don't think it was anybody in here is why I'm using this example. But I would say, hey, how do you, could you give me money so I could be a pastor? And they would say, well, I got to pray about it. And my thoughts were always like, no, like, the, we know the answer. Like, like, we're supposed to be generous. Like, that's like, it's like in the Bible. Like, all throughout the Bible, like, be generous. Like, all the time. Like, give money to Anthony. It's like all in it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
No, but I'm just saying like there's sometimes when we're like trying to discern God's will, we kind of get a little bit silly with it. Like, like oh, I got to pray about it. No, you probably don't. <laughs> like God has given us his word so we kind of can know. So I, I'm not, I don't want to like uh, dilute praying for God's will and trying to discern his will because that's really important. So don't hear that. But just hear that God wants us to have wisdom to not get inverted on ourselves, but to be selfless to bear fruit, and even to know him more. I love that. I love that. And so this is what Paul and Timothy pray and want for the church in Colossae. This is what I want for our church. God, may we, like I'm I'm legitimately praying, God, may we walk worthy. God, may we bear fruit. May we get to know you more. Give us the spiritual wisdom and understanding to do that, God. That's what the church in Colossae needed. I think that's what we need as well, okay? All right, the final thing that we'll look at from the opening of this letter is how Paul and Timothy encouraged the church in Colossae, which we'll see in verses 13 and 14. They say this, uh, He, that's God, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The primary way that Paul and Timothy want to encourage the church in Colossae is with the gospel. Is with the good news that God has done something in history, sending his son to earth. And through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have new life in him. We've been taken from one kingdom of darkness and placed into a kingdom with the Son of the Father. Which, friends, the, the language there is to help us see that we are being looked at the way that the Father looks at the Son now. That's how powerful this kingdom transfer is. God the Father sees us like he sees his son, Jesus. Paul and Timothy want to encourage the church in Colossae with the gospel itself. And the way they do this in verses 13 and 14 is they use this Exodus language. That's Exodus language. Anytime you see the word redemption in the Bible, it's Exodus language. I think that's the first place that God uses this word of redeem. I think it's Exodus 6. I could be incorrect, but God says, I'm going to redeem Israel by my strong arm. And so we have to know the Old Testament story. We have to know the Exodus story to know what God is saying there. What God is saying there is that he has taken, like, so the Exodus story is this. He took Israel, who was enslaved and oppressed by Pharaoh. He took them out of Egypt, and he made them a people and established them as part of God's kingdom. And what Paul and Timothy are trying to say right there is that, that that has happened to us. That through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, a new exodus has happened for everyone that turns to Jesus. And that should be what forms our identity And so we're going to see two things, that as Paul and Timothy encourage the church with the gospel, we're going to see two things. We're going to see that the gospel should form their identity as it encourages them, but it should also help them to see God's identity. 
So the gospel will form their identity, and it will help them see God's identity. And the way it forms their identity, it helps them to know that they are a people. That God has done something amazing in their life. Right? They're not just a bunch of individuals with a new set of beliefs. They are people that God has rescued. He's taken from one dark kingdom and placed them into the kingdom of his son. So church, if we are to listen to this letter well, what that means is we, are, we as the people of God here and now, we're not just simply a people adhering to beliefs. And we're all just here because we're adhering to our favorite new beliefs. You and I have been rescued by God. God has rescued us. He's redeemed us. He's taken us from a place of spiritual slavery and sin, and he's brought us into his kingdom. Paul and Timothy want that to be what forms the very identity of the church in Colossae. He wants the gospel story to form their identity, and it should form our identity. And I think sometimes we look at the gospel almost like it's a bunch of ideas far out there when it's actual events in history. There are actual spiritual strongholds that they're talking about here. God has done a real thing, transferring us from one kingdom to his. And have you noticed, have you noticed that huge events tem- tend to shape us as a people? Right, like uh, a really bad day you had or a trip you took somewhere or a tragedy that you went through or just, just even just like a really crazy day that you had, that they tend to form you as people to the point where when you start to make friends, they tend to hear those stories about you pretty quick. Right? I've got a story like that. Like really, there's this kind of tragedy. You're all going to wonder what it is now, so just get to know me more later. But there's this tragedy that happens to me, and what I notice is when I start to build a friendship with someone, like, it just comes forth all of a sudden. I'm like, hey, this happened to me, like, you know, and because it formed me. It formed my identity in certain ways. The gospel should do that to us. It is an event that has happened to us. Far more powerful than any earthly event that's formed me. And we need to realize that Paul and Timothy are using the gospel to encourage the church in Colossae so that it forms their identity as God's people. They're not just people with a bunch of beliefs about Jesus. They are people who have been rescued by God. And they happen to have beliefs about Jesus. The gospel is the biggest event in history. It is the new Exodus story that we've all been included in because of Jesus' death on the cross. The other way I've noticed, though, uh, as, uh, that Paul and Timothy talk about the gospel in these opening verses is they, they show, they kind of unpack how, how the gospel helps us see the actual character of God. That the gospel actually, actually helps us not to just form our identity, but it helps us to see God's identity. And, I, and here's the thing. I think the more we can see God's identity, the more we can live as people of thanksgiving. The more we can understand who God is. And so I want to look at some of the ways that they use the gospel and the implications of the gospel and the actions of the gospel of God in that new Exodus story to show us who God himself is. And so there's a few, like three or four ways that they use the gospel in these opening 14 verses to show us who God is. The first thing that Paul and Timothy show us about God throughout these first 14 verses is we have a gracious God. 
a God full of grace. If that's just a churchy word for you, grace is simply this. It's about God reaching down to the undeserved and doing something that they can't do for themselves. That's grace. God reaching down to the undeserved and doing something for them that they can't do for themselves. And we see all throughout these opening verses, we don't just have a powerful God, we have a gracious God. Paul mentions grace time and time again in these opening verses and throughout the letters he writes. Because the gospel shows us that God is gracious. God is gracious. The gospel shows us that God is so gracious, like God's not far off. It's often how we think of God. God's not withholding. God is actually gracious. He's he's close. The gospel shows he's close, close to us, and he gives his own self in order to rescue us. He's gracious, and, and most of us don't deserve it. Really all of us, but I'm just trying to be nice. That's God's just gracious to us. We can never stop, we can never exhaust ourselves thinking about God's grace. Another thing that the gospel in here shows us about God's identity is that we have a generous God. Did you, did you catch that little line where it says that the church in Colossae, they now get an inheritance, inheritance in the light? Did you see that, that little phrase? Now this phrase, it's, it's just unmistakably Jewish language. If you go to the Greek and, and do all the work there, it's like, it, it, this is like kind of like Jewish language. What Paul and Timothy are essentially saying is this, is like God has promised an inheritance to his people, the people of God, Israel. He's promised an inheritance to them. And the things he's promised in that inheritance is things like provision, rest, land, milk, honey, resurrection, freedom, restoration, all these kinds of things. And then Jesus came along, and what Jesus said was, hey, he helped people see those promises. They weren't just promises about a good earthly life, but they were promises about everlasting life with God one day for all eternity. And what Paul and Timothy are saying here by saying the church in Colossae gets an inheritance is they're saying they get all of that. All of those things God has promised and Jesus helped us to see were not just about a good life here and now, we're actually about eternal life. That the church in Colossae and any that believe in Jesus get this inheritance in the light. We get the inheritance that God promised to his people of Israel. We get that. That's what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection show us. That all those things, every single promise of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. And we will find those things in Jesus and get that inheritance. That's wild to me. We get this inheritance? All those things God mentioned forever? That's why I, I think that too many of us have money, so this is, it's just, we're not just grasping what Paul and Timothy are saying there. Here, here I'm, I'm going to tell you something about my, myself. Um, I used to work like construction off and on a number of years ago. There was a general contractor at the church I was at, and I would do construction. I'm not good at it, so I was like the, the ditch digger. And so that was like what I was doing, okay? Or the, the, the sweeper. Like I was like cleaning stuff up. And the guy that I worked for, all his clients, they were like 
crazy rich, like millions upon millions of dollars rich, okay? And I don't know, this is just my experience with those kinds of very, very rich people, not trying to disparage anybody, but they like to watch you work. I don't, I don't know what that is about it. Like, they, they kind of watch you like, oh, so that's how you're sweeping, huh? Like, and you're just like, yeah. <laughs> like, you're kind of nervous. You're like, oh, so that's the shovel you're using. Like, yeah, that's, you, it's actually your shovel. Like, and so anyways, um, but what would happen is with these rich people, as they're watching me dig a ditch or do whatever kind of work they were doing, you know, you start talking to them. And start talking about different things and all this stuff. And in my heart, if I'm honest, I was, part of me was always kind of like, I kind of hope me and this guy hit it off. And I'd be kind of sweeping up like, man, like what if he just starts seeing me like his own son? <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> like what if like he just starts inviting me to holidays and he's like, man, I, 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 I like the cut of your jib. And then he's just like, just loving, uh, loves me so much that at a certain point, he puts me in the will, <laughs> right? I wish I could say, I just made this illustration up. This is a real thing I would do. Like I'm just fantasizing about these really hyper rich people adopting me. So one day when they died, I would get their inheritance, right? That's, I'm sinful, okay guys? But that's really what I thought. And I would think to myself, I got, they got plenty of money. Well, it's a, come on, I'm likable. I would just think these things. I would be like, man, it would be great. It'd be great to get that inheritance from them. What Colossians shows me is actually I do have that kind of inheritance. Like, I, I do have an inheritance like that. The God of the universe, who owns everything, he's given me the inheritance, the only inheritance that actually matters. Like, I'm going to be able to live with God on earth forever, experiencing the riches of this earth as I was meant to. Right? The reason all of us want to be rich is because I think God created this earth to, for us to experience its riches. And one day, because of the inheritance I have due to Jesus' work, I will have an inheritance that's far better than any rich guy could give to me in his will. You guys have that too. We have that. The gospel shows us we have a generous God who gives us an inheritance. God's a rich man adopting us all, putting us all in the will. We have an inheritance because of God. The last thing really quickly the gospel shows us about God's character is we have a forgiving God. We have a forgiving God. All the work that Jesus did on the cross, shedding his blood, makes us a forgiven people. There's nothing you owe God. And even if you owed God something, you probably couldn't pay for it anyways. I don't think he takes cash or debit. Like, I, like you wouldn't be able to pay God if you owed him anyways. And what we see in the gospel here is Jesus' blood gives us forgive it, forgiveness so we don't owe God anything. The lamb's blood is taking care of our sins on the cross. The gospel right here shows us we have a forgiving God. Don't forget, you have a very forgiving God, which probably means we should be a forgiving people. And so Paul and Timothy, they want to encourage Colossae and us with the gospel to shape our identity, but also to help us see God's identity, church. I love this letter. I love especially this opening of the letter to the Colossians. It's, it's just so beautiful to me. 
It shows us that we should pray with thanksgiving. It shows us that we should seek wisdom in order to live fruitful lives and know God more. And it encourages us with gospel identity and God's identity. So church, may we grow more thankful. Church, may we grow more wise and fruitful, knowing God more. And may we allow the good news of King Jesus and all he is and all he's done to be what shapes us and causes us to worship. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for these riches of who you are. Gosh, Jesus has given us so much. God, thank you for giving us your son and doing all this in us. And transferring us from one kingdom to the next kingdom, God. Thank you that the Exodus story is now our story because of Jesus on the cross. God, help us to be a people formed by the gospel. Help us to be wise. Give us all the spiritual understanding and knowledge that you want to give us, God. So that we could be fruitful people. Living lives that reflect you to the world. And draw people in because of the sort of good fruit that we are buried. God, help us to be people of thankfulness. Don't let us be a church that just operates out of duty. Let us be a church that operates out of love. Out of worship. Out of understanding what you've done for us. God, we love you and we need you mightily. We love you, Lord. Amen.